We're in uh, lesson two today of our basics of the Christian life. And last week we spent some time focusing on a wrong understanding. A wrong understanding that a lot of people have about, quote, living the Christian life. Now, if you remember, we talked about that there were two wrong approaches, and those approaches were either legalism where you reduce the Christian life down to a set of rules, do this, do this, don't do this, don't go here, don't do that. And we tend to default there because that's trained all of our life. We follow rules, and so we think that Christianity is a bunch of rules. The other ditch that we can fall in, the other wrong approach, is the experience-oriented, where you look at Christianity as your experience with God. Now the problem with that is that you move from one experience to another. And eventually, if you are experience-oriented, it will lead you into error. And we talked about some different attitudes. We had There was the ignorant attitude, ignorant mindset that I'm saved and that's all that matters. And then the attitude was is that I can do whatever I want. I'm saved now. I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven. And so we talked about that. And suppose all of that is a wrong understanding of what the Christian life is. So what we're going to talk today about is what is the Christian life? So first of all, the Christian life is not a set of actions that must be completed. When you come to the place of accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you come to know Him as Savior and Lord, you begin a life, you begin a Christian life, and as I already told you, it's not a set of actions that must be completed now. Because we can reduce it down. Did I spend time in prayer today? Did I read my Bible today? Did I go to church today? Did I give? Did I serve? Did I do this? Did I do that? The Christian life is not a set of actions that must be completed. So I want you to think about it in those terms because usually what happens when you begin to think of it in terms of actions, if you don't do the action, the result in your life? Anybody? You don't do the certain actions. What usually happens in your life when you don't do the stuff? Feel guilty? Okay. Gene and uh, Rob said that. Feel guilty. What about, what else? Feel like a failure? Defeated? Okay. Feel less than? Don't feel accepted? Okay, so those are all things that happen. But I want you to understand is, is that that's not what the Christian life is. It's not a set of actions. Now here's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is a relationship with a living God. The Christian life is a relationship with the living God. Now that completely changes the whole dynamic, doesn't it? If you begin to realize that your life now in Jesus is not a set of do this, don't do this, but rather it is a relationship with the living God, that changes your whole perspective. In fact... Here's what I would liken it to. The Christian life is similar to a marriage relationship. Listen to what Ephesians says. 
this is we we just looked at this recently, and we talked about it with reference to husbands loving their wives. But Paul draws the analogy between the marriage relationship between husband and wife and Jesus and the church. So listen to what he says: Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her for the but with the washing of water by the word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So here he is. He's drawing a definite analogy. He's comparing the two between marriage and the relationship between Jesus and the church. Now, who's the church? You and I. So what I want you to do is I want you to think in terms of your Christian life is similar to a marriage relationship. So let me just stop for a moment. Let's, everybody just remember we've got married people here, okay? Do you remember when you got married? The day you got married, the day you said your vows, and it was all, you know, it's like, wow, you know, and then you went off on your honeymoon, you know. Um, of course, there are times when you have intense fellowship. Everybody understand that? When you're fighting, maybe you fought on your honeymoon. Okay, you know, whatever. The, the the whole point is, is are there days? Is your marriage a set of rules that you need to abide by? Now, some men would here would say, yes, it is. But no, it isn't. Yes, you've learned things that you can't as you've learned to adjust to each other. Okay, but here's my point: it's not a set of rules that. It's not a set of actions. Because if you try to do this, regiment your relationship with your spouse. At 5.06, I will go in and make her a cup of coffee. Yeah, okay, you know, at 7.08, I will rub her feet. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that doesn't work that way, does it? In fact, if you were that regimented in how you did stuff, at 7.06, I will say something to her. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you think about it, that's pretty ridiculous. In fact, your spouse will look through it and say, what's the matter with you? What's that? Yeah, what do you want? Okay? That's not a relationship. Everybody understands that's not a relationship with, some, with another human being, right? You don't reduce it down to... Or here, here's what... You're at work and you realize, you know, yeah, yesterday I really messed up with her. I didn't, I didn't do this at this time. I didn't do that at that time. I didn't do this. And, and, and no, some of you don't care. Do you know what I mean? You're not haunted by whether or not you did this with her or not. Do you but we do that with our Christian lives, don't we? Because what we do is, is with our Christian lives... We've reduced it down to a set of actions that need to be done. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a relationship. It's like a marriage relationship. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like a marriage relationship. Here, here's another way you can look at it. It's a relationship like a parent-child relationship. So, I mean, you know, I'm a dad of four kids. And on a typical day, one of my four is going to do something that irritates me. Uh, this is a good day, okay? On a good day. Okay. Now, when they do something that irritates me, do I disown them? Get out of my house till you get your act together. Do I tell them that? Do they cease being a canon at that point? Do not carry the name anymore. You know, I mean, do, I mean you know what I'm saying? I mean, do they cease doing that? No, they're still a part of just. Does it, do I cease loving them? Yeah, they irritate me, but do I cease loving them? No. I mean, you're a parent. You know what I'm talking about. You don't, I mean, your kids irritate you. They do things that anger you. They do things wrong, but you don't end the relationship with them, do you? This is what the Christian life is like. You do things that hurt God. You do things that offend God. Does he end the relationship with you? No. So can you understand? So let's quit reducing the Christian life down to a set of actions that need to be done. Let's quit reducing it down to a set of rules, a set of habits that need to be performed. Okay, now here, here's where I want you to stand. It is a relationship from which we live out our salvation. The Christian life is a relationship from which you live out your salvation. Does everybody understand that? The difference is, okay, you know, when you're in a marriage relationship, you live out your marriage. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you need to listen to what I'm talking about because, you know, it just, you know, our tendency is, is we pursue, pursue guys until we get married. And then once we got them, we quit pursuing. You know what I'm saying? And but the reality is, is marriage is work. You got to work at your marriage because if you don't work at your marriage, it's going to die. All right. Now here's the thing: in the relationship with God, you got to work at your relationship with God. Now here's what you're working at, though. It's not that you're working at how much He loves you or blah blah blah. What you're working at is you're working out the issue of your salvation. You're working out the process of living out your salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. The process of sanctification, it is the process of sanctification where we become like Jesus. Hey, remember what I told you about salvation? We, we reduce it down to a one-time event. But salvation, if you want to write this down, is not a one-time event, it's a lifetime event. Salvation is not a one-time event, but a lifetime event. In fact, salvation could be divided into three parts. Let me tell you what those three parts are. First of all, there's justification. Justification. Now, what happens at justification is the moment you realize your need for Jesus and you come to him by faith and accept his forgiveness and ask him to come into your life, you are justified. You are no longer, you are no longer condemned. You are no longer 
facing his wrath, you are now justified. You are made holy, supposedly. Now, that's the first part. Now, that's where we tend to focus. In fact, when you talk to people, you'll say, so when, pastime, did you get saved? And that's, what we, that's how we talk in our church. When did you get saved? When did you accept Jesus? When did you... So, and that's focusing on that first aspect of salvation, which is justification. The second aspect, the second component of it, is sanctification, where I become holy. I become like Jesus. When does that take place? From the moment you got saved to the moment you go to be with Jesus. Every one of you, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit living within him, and here's what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. The Holy Spirit is working on you to deal with issues that need to be dealt with in your life to help you to become like Jesus Christ. So I've been saved now since April of 1985, okay? And I can already tell you that it's been quite a journey in my sanctification, in my working out my salvation. And I mean, you say, what do you mean by that, George? What, well, here, here's what I'm saying. When I first got saved, God immediately dealt with habits. I drank, I smoked, I partied, I did all that stuff. God immediately helped me deal with all of that stuff. But I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that. I mean, I haven't smoked in 20-some years. I've gotten to a place now where I can't even be around smoke. It makes me sick. So, that's just reality. Now, you say, okay, are you sanctified? Are you perfect now? No, because here's what I've noticed. In my personal time with God, even here in the last month, I'm like, Lord, it was easier to give up on the smoking than for you to deal with me about my attitudes. You know what I'm saying? About who I am and my personality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God, God's working on personality defects. And I know I have them. I do. I have them. So do you. We all do. And the process of becoming like Jesus in my life is called sanctification. That's what's going on with every one of you here. The, the process of salvation is being worked out in all of your life. So you say, how long does it take? Yeah, until you go to be with Jesus or he comes back. Which brings us up to the third part of salvation, which is where we see salvation in its actuality, and that's when we go to be with Jesus and we become new. We have a new body, a new life. Freedom. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're not like this, but I'm like this. There are times when I long for the day to be with Christ so that the battle stops. What do you mean the battle? Well, Paul describes the battle in Romans chapter 7. Where the good I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. And then he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? Paul's talking about the reality of the war that's within us. And here's what he said, But thanks be to Christ Jesus. It's through Jesus. And that's, you know, when that day will happen is when we go to be with him. You know what? I would say to you, 
if, if none of you here have a war going on inside of you, there's a problem. See, that's part of the Christian life is to have the war. If you don't have a war going on inside of you between what you know you should do and what you shouldn't do, what you know about your life that's not right, you need to change, and God help me to change it. If there's no war going on within you, there's a problem. I would question whether or not you know Jesus. Because the process of becoming, working out my salvation in my life, that's what the Christian life is, is I'm going to be constantly confronted with the reality that I need help. That I need Jesus. Does everybody understand me? Does everybody understand me? You may not agree with that, but that's reality. I mean, look, hey, hey, how, how important do you think the Apostle Paul is? You think he's pretty special? I mean, he wrote more than half of the New Testament. Influenced possibly two... He influenced Luke, who wrote two books of the New Testament possibly influenced, some people think he wrote the book of Hebrews, was the founder of the Gentile church, which we are Gentiles here. So how, how special do you think Paul is? You think he's special? I mean, I, I put him up there. He's a, he's a super Christian as far as I'm concerned. But you know what? You look at Paul, here's what he says about himself. I'm the chief of sinners. He's not worthy to be called wretched man that I am. You understand, when you walk with Christ, you realize more and more you got issues. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, let, let's, so what does that mean? Let, let's, let's bring it before we go into a little bit further. Here's the thing. I would rather be a church of real people with people who recognize we all need Jesus and we got issues than a church with people who think they're perfect and who are lying to themselves because everybody knows, right? We all got issues, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? See, the Christian life is realizing I'm in a relationship with God and, and in this relationship I am working out my salvation. I am becoming like Jesus because I got issues. Now let's go on for a moment. Because you say, okay, that's Christian life. What's the foundation for it? Because here's the thing. You can look at that and say, well, okay, I see that, but that's still defeating to me. Well, here's the foundation. My salvation has nothing to do with me. Because here's what happens. Because you can look at yourself and say, yeah, I got issues. How can God accept me because of my issues? How can God accept me because this is what I did? How can I ex God accept me because... This is what I did before, or this is what I didn't do, or and, and all of this stuff. I don't have the education, or I got too much education, or I'm not from the right side of the railroad track, or, or all this other stuff. I didn't get raised in a church home, or you don't know what I did before. You're right, I don't know, don't care. Because that really has nothing to do with your salvation. Here's what I want you to see. My salvation is based solely upon the obedience of Jesus Christ. If you're saved here, I want you to hear me. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you walking an aisle. It has nothing to do with you praying a prayer. It has nothing to do with you being baptized. 
It has nothing to do with how often you come to church, how much money you put in the plate, all of that, how much you know. Nothing of that has to do with your salvation. It has to do purely with the obedience of Jesus Christ. What do you mean the obedience of Jesus Christ? The fact that he was obedient to the Father and he went where? To the cross. And died for me. You understand? That's what it has to do with. So, can I help you with something here? Here's what the source of defeat is in our Christian life. So how many of you had a bad week? Don't raise your hand. The week did not go the way you wanted it to go. You thought this week, I'm going to walk with you, Jesus. Everything's going to be okay. And then in that moment, at the wrong moment, you gave in to whatever it is that you normally give in to, to your issue. Now here's what will happen. The enemy will come to you and he'll say, must not be a good enough Christian. God can't love you. Look at what you did. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. It's just like a parent-child relationship. Your child will disappoint you. But your, does that mean your child ceases to be your child? Does that mean... Did you, did, you know, I'm, I know there's weird things where some families disown them and throw them out, but I'm not talking. That's weird. But what I want you to see with God, He doesn't do that. God doesn't do that at all. He doesn't throw you away. Because it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with who? Jesus. Does everybody understand me? Does everybody see that? In fact, the scripture there is... Um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So here's what happens then. The foundation of my life then is, is okay, it's, it's all about Jesus, not about me. What does that mean? Our lives belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ. Here, Colossians 1.14 says this. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? From, from you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. Do you realize this? It's not your life anymore. You belong to Jesus. He bought you through his obedience. So what does that mean? I'm to live my life for Jesus Christ. So now you're to live your life for Jesus. Here's what Paul says in Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice that phrase. Work out your salvation. Your life isn't your own. You're to live it for Jesus. Work out your salvation. You know what? You're going to become like Jesus. Let's get moving, though. Spend your life becoming like Him. Can I be honest with you? Here's what God's interested in. He's not interested in your actions, per se, as your character. We can train monkeys to do stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
we could train monkeys to come in here. Now, it would be kind of messy, but we could train them to come in here and stand up at the right time and hold a, hold a hymnal, you know what I'm saying, sit down, turn to, you know, open a Bible. Or we could train monkeys to do stuff. So God's not interested in your actions as a Christian. He's interested in your character. Now, what's the difference? Anybody know the difference between character and actions? Yes. Yes. So we're talking about who you are versus what you're doing. Because you can do stuff and still not be right. And you know what? I've been around church a long time. We've all seen people do stuff right, but then they weren't right, right? What were you going to say, Scott? Yeah, they're just going through the motions. Yeah, going through the motions. You know, and can I be honest with you? Let's let's talk about the typical thing that's said about people who go to church. If you live outside the church and you look at people who go to church, what's the typical thing that people outside of the church say about people in the church? Hypocrites. Now, are they making that up? Did they just did they read it in the paper? All people go to church are hypocrites. Buy this line, say it often. No, no. They, they have come in contact with what? People who go to church, and what do they see about their lives? They're hypocrites. See, they're going through the motions. See, God's not interested in motions. Because remember now, Jesus came in conflict with the people who had their act together. Who were they? The Pharisees. They did all the right stuff. But remember what Jesus said about them. They're what? They're like whitewashed sepulchers, whitewashed tombs. Look good on the outside, but on the inside, filled with dead man's bones. Their inside was not right. Who they were was not right. So God's more interested in your character. So when I live my life for Him, I'm talking about living my life and allowing Him to change who I am, my character. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let's go on. Here's the other part I want you to see. This is the wonderful part. God delights in our life. He takes pleasure in you. You want to write that down? He takes pleasure in you. Now some of us will have a hard time grasping that, but that's so true. God takes pleasure in you. In fact, listen to what David wrote. Now how many remember King David? King David, was he a perfect dude? No. Slept with his best friend's wife, had his best friend murdered to cover up the fact that she got pregnant. I mean, he's not... I mean, that's, that's, that's something for the Jerry Springer show or something, you know? You know what I mean? But here's what he writes. Listen to what David writes in the Psalms. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he talking about God delights in his way God takes delight in your life then I lost thought now he goes on one step further because you say well okay well that's yeah that's interesting George but man you don't know how I messed up nobody's going to be taking delight in my life when you think about what I've done David didn't stop there. Listen to what David said. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. 
Isn't that an awesome thought? He delights in me. Even though I stumble, he doesn't let me fall on my face because he's there upholding me with my hand. You know, I've shared this verse with you before because it's a profound thing. I remember when my little ones were learning how to walk and daddy was there, you know, I think about Maddie, grabbing a hold of my fingertips and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of leading her because I want to let go, you know, for her to learn to walk and do they walk perfect the first time? What do they normally tend to do when they're walking, folks? Toddlers. They fall. So dad's right there, ready to grab them so that their face doesn't smack into those coffee tables that we just seem to have around the house when they're walking. With sharp edges, you know. That's the picture of God with us. Isn't that awesome? He delights in us just like you delighted in your little one walking. Isn't that awesome? That's what the foundation of the Christian life is. Now, here's the enablement. We've been equipped to live our lives for Christ. Now, here's the thing. See, it's okay. How, how do we live this life then, George? I mean, it's just like marriage. You don't really learn about marriage until you get married. And you learn from the school of hard knocks, right? I mean, you can read all the books you want to before you get married. There ain't nothing like getting married until you get married, right? And then you realize that the guy who wrote the book, he don't know everything. And he sure doesn't know what to do with your situation. So, okay, so how, do, how do I know how to live this life for Jesus? Well, the first thing is, is we need to realize that he equips you to live the life. First Peter says, Second Peter says this, chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me just stop for a moment there. His divine power, who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Has given you all things that you need for your life and godliness to become like Jesus. That's an interesting thing. Through what? Through the knowledge of him who's called us to his glory and virtue. By which he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might become the partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So through my relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives me everything that I need to live this life. To live this life. In fact, here's what he says. For this reason, give all diligence to add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, into brotherly kindness, love. So again, he's focusing on the issues of our character. Because he's enabled me, I need to begin to allow God to change my what? Character. Now here's the other part, that, as far as how to do this. We have a helper to guide us. John 16, 13-15 says this. However... When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say, he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is your guide. The Holy Spirit will guide you in your life. You're not doing this alone. The Holy Spirit will help you to become 
and live the Christian life that he wants you to live. Okay, so that's, that's the foundation. Now, I'm just going to list some components of the Christian life, which is what we're going to spend the rest of the next 11 weeks talking about. Here's what we're going to look at. Over the next 11 weeks, we're going to talk about different components of the Christian life that God has given us to help you to become like Jesus. Now, these are not ritual things. These are not a set of actions that you need to do in order to be a good Christian. But these are tools to help you to live the life that he wants you to live. To have the relationship with him that he wants you to have. So let's take a look at a couple here. First of all, there's the Word of God. We're going to look at the Word of God. How do I get the Word of God in my life? We're going to look at prayer. We're going to talk about prayer for a little bit. Then we're going to look at the issue of fasting. This is a difficult one. One that we really don't know about in our culture. But we're going to talk about what is fasting. Jesus talks about it. The Bible talks about it. There is an assumption in the Bible that we know what fasting is, but we've lost that. Fasting is abstaining from something, from food, primarily. Okay? We're going to talk about giving. What does that mean? What does the New Testament teach us about giving? We're going to kill some myths with this one. I know that in some churches it's the 11th commandment. Thou shalt give. But we're going to talk about what the Bible says about it, okay? And giving is, in the Bible, can I be honest with you, giving, specifically in the New Testament, is more than just giving to the church. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about evangelism, sharing your faith. We'll talk about worship. We'll talk about worship. We'll talk about fellowship. Now you say, what in the world is fellowship? Well, that's your interaction with other Christians. That's an important part of your life. Because I want you to understand this. You can write this down right beside that statement, fellowship. You are not an island to yourself. God did not create you to be an island to yourself. You are a relational being. He created you to be in relationship with other people. And so we're going to talk about the importance of being in relationship with each other and how important that is for your Christian life. We're going to talk about service. Another word for this is ministry, but here's what we've done. We've, we've taken the word ministry and we've made it into a word that is only applicable to those who are full-time in ministry. But the word actually means service. So we're going to talk about how important it is for you to serve in some capacity, and we'll talk about what that means. Because, again, our concept, as soon as I say that, is what position in the church? We're not talking about positions. We're talking about you being an asset to help other people. You understand? And then, finally, we're going to talk about solitude. This one escapes us. We're going to talk about being alone. Now, the problem is a lot of us don't like to be alone. Have you noticed that when we're alone in a room, what do we immediately do? Turn on the TV or we'll turn on a stereo system. Because, why? We don't, a lot of us don't like the what? Silence, so we got to have what? 
in the background. Noise. But we're going to talk about the importance of being alone. Because you're not alone, you're with who? With God, and we're going to talk about God speaking to you. Now you say, well, what do you mean to speak? God will speak to you. We'll talk about that. Okay? All right, so that's what we're going to be looking at from here on out. So, okay? Let's pray.